Shri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai Shri Bhakti Rakshak Shidadev Goswami Maharaj Tirubhava Mahotsubhati ti ki jai Gaur Bhakti Vrinda ki jai Gaur Premanande So we gathered on this precious occasion of the Tirubhava or the disappearance from the world of Pujapad Bhakti Rakshak Shidadev Goswami Maharaj and we prefaced our brief discussion this evening with a beautiful song of Narottam Thakur, which is traditionally sung on such occasions, on the occasion, that is, of the, the Tirubhav, or the disappearance, as it's called, of the um, of an, an Acharya, a saint. The term disappearance is a little odd, I think, from the Western um, perspective. Um, I remember, as a humorous aside, um, an occasion which, uh, with the passing of Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada from the world, some of the devotees, some of his disciples, called the local newspaper to tell them that A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada had just disappeared from the world to make it a news story. And the reporter replied, well, where did he go? <laughs> he disappeared. This is, that's, is noteworthy. <laughs> I mean, I guess gurus do that. You know, they vanish and they, they come back or whatever. <laughs> so um, it's a little peculiar from the uh, Western cultural sensibilities. But the idea is disappearing, as we've heard it here, and appearing somewhere else. The great... Uh, Thakur Bhaktivinod wrote an English poem. One of the stanzas was about the Vaishnavas and their disappearance. And uh, he said that Vaishnavas, people reason ill who think that Vaishnavas die while living still in sound and living try to spread the holy name around. Hmm. So in sound, uh, we will make some sounds tonight in glorification of Pujapatri Dharmaraj, and um, we hope to invoke his presence. It was an occasion and in which I was unfortunately not there at Chaitanya Saraswati Mat, Sri Dharmaraj's uh, home base, monastery, uh, ashram that he uh, founded after the disappearance of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And uh, where a number of us were fortunate to come after the passing of our Guru Marsh, Yisri Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada from the world and get his nourishing um, shelter, the door to which was opened by our, our Guru Marsh himself, who said, If upon my passing you would like to get advice philosophically, see my God would be actually so, uh, anyway, at any rate, I'm reminded of an occasion related to me, and it's by some of God Brothers, and it's been recorded also. Two or three, I think, two of my God Brothers sitting rather late in the evening with Sridhar Marsh in his veranda, where we would typically have the opportunity to gather morning and evening, went in Abhadweep and, and hear from him for a couple hours, usually just answering questions morning and evening. So this evening there was a couple of devotees there and somehow the topic um, came in the in the direction of talking about Prabhupada 
Jason Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, the Prabhupada of of, uh, of uh, myself and, and my god brothers, Sridhar Maharaj, of course, had his own Prabhupada. Once uh, a god brother of mine uh, told me a story of how he had greeted Prabhupada when he came to Buffalo, New York, and was helping Prabhupada unpack his belongings in his room, and in the bag came out a picture of Bhakti Siddhanta. And the, the, the devotee looked at it kind of curiously, and then, then Prabhupada said, put Prabhupada over there. Hmm. So, and he, <laughs> anyway, so this was the affectionate and um, very fitting name to refer to Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. Thakran with this little confusion because we thought we, we followed and called our Guru Maharaj Prabhupada as well. Sometimes therefore you hear Sridhar Maharaj refer to Prabhupada as Swami Maharaj, which was how he knew him by his sannyas name affectionately and so forth. No no uh, lack of regard and their relationship is different than ours was or is with uh, with our our Prabhupada. So different kinds of love hmm. between uh, Vaishnavas, the love of the student with the master, the love of the brother, godbrother, the love of the cousins and nephews, uncles. Pujapachita Marsha was a spiritual uncle to us, those of us who were fortunate to go there. But at any rate, on this occasion, I wasn't there, unfortunately, but I was fortunate to hear about it. The discussion was late in the evening, relatively late, and um, it went in the direction of speaking about Prabhupada and um, Sri Dhammarsh told us a story of how in South India there were three devotees who had been held up somewhere in a cave or something like that. I forget the details, I think during the rainy season. And so they stayed up into the night hmm, doing Harikata, talking about Narayan. Hmm. And as the story goes, that uh, that a fourth person hmm, was amongst them. Hmm. In other words, Narayan was present in their kata. They could feel his presence. And living in a rainy, in a rainy night in the cave, um, they were oblivious to it. Otherwise, materially speaking, would looked like a very uncomfortable place to be and and engage in activities that people thought were very um, probably very um, weird and psychologically dysfunctional. <laughs> um, but they were in another world, the world of Narayan. Hmm. So somehow, he, I believe he was telling the story, and somehow the, the conversation drifted in the direction of speaking about Prabhupada, and, and at a certain point it became still, and, and Sridhar Marsh made the comment, and I think there is a fourth person amongst us, something like this. And I feel this appear. And so in the kata about Prabhupada, he felt the Prabhupada's presence on the veranda. You can imagine how endearing his his talks were to us who had the opportunity to have his good association and take advantage of it after the, the disappearance, after the passing of our Prabhupada from the world. This is just one example of how in his company we felt the, the presence 
of our own Guru Maharaj, with the blessing of our Guru Maharaj, we knew we were in the right place. Hmm. I remember um, hearing one of my gabbardas, who was closely associated with Bhujapad Sridhar Maharaj, speak about Sridhar Maharaj's explanation of the position of Mirabai in relation to Gaudiya Vaishnavism and how her songs about Krishna were all about her and Krishna. And that's very different than the way in which the Gaudiyas will sing about Krishna. Hmm. They'll sing about Krishna and mention the different associates of Krishna and Govardhan Jamuna and all these things. And, and this is a composite that, that makes up the Krishna that we're interested in. Hmm. He's one with their love and so on and so forth. So I was explaining like that so we don't follow uh, in the the line of um, Mirabai. And um, so, and I heard that, I was hearing that, and I said, I just feel uh, so comforting, feel so bona fide. Hmm? This talk was so, you know, compelling that it, that what it meant to follow the line and very kind of systematically or scientifically in the sense of a system explained the Siddhanta. It was very comforting and reassuring to me that that I was in the right place, even though I didn't really have a place. (laughs) We were kind of like trying to find a place, a type of situation in those days and get a footing and so forth. It hasn't been easy over the years. But nonetheless, in the right place. And the other devotee who was telling a story turned to me and said, yeah, that's what I thought. So I was like, we were bona fide. You know, we were like, uh, we were authorized. Because the, 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 uh, the standard thinking amongst many of our gods and goddesses at the time is that we were independent rebels, did not want to follow authority. Hmm. Um, and uh, it was really quite, quite the opposite. We felt the authority of the Guru Parampara and the authority of our Guru Maharaj that we felt in his presence in the person of Pujapachita Maharaj. So, so the, anyway, the disappearance is an auspicious occasion in this sense. It, it gives us an opportunity to talk about um, the Acharya we find here. As I say, we prefaced our talk with the song of Nartam Thakur. It's quite famous and traditional to sing this um, on the disappearance days of the Acharya so you can find it in so many monasteries, temples, places of bhajan and so forth, the song of Narottam will be sung. Narottam was famous for his songs, a um, couple of song books and a style of kirtan also he developed. And um, Prabhupada used to say the whole truth of the Upanishads is explained in simple Bengali language, in song form, poem form, in the books of Narottam Thakur. It said that... Uh, Gorgashur Das Babaji Maharaj used to carry the, the uh, maybe Prartana, one of the prayer books of Narutam Thakur with him, wherever he, he went. And he had, in the words of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, dust on his feet that, could, that was so knowledgeable that it could, it could drown the whole world of, of material knowledge. Hmm. At certain occasion, in which that that statement arose, 
when a disciple felt that maybe the people in Europe have questions we can't answer. Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta replied like this, just the dust from the feet of Gorkashore is so knowledgeable. It can make the whole collection of all the knowledge of the world seem insignificant. So, in good company we have that kind of confidence that we're in the right place. And so, Narutam Thakur, his song, as I say, it's a beautiful song, and, it, and it, you, you see how he feels when he mentions Rup Sanatan, Raghunath Das, Raghunath Bhatta, Swarup Damodar, Krishna Kaviraj. Where have they gone? Where has that golden dancer, Goranga Mahaprabhu, gone? What will I do in their absence? I just weep and beat my head against the stone. How unfortunate I am. I believe it was it was Rai Ramananda who was asked by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, what is the most painful thing? He said, separation from a true Vaishnav. Hmm. When it can feel like that, then we can say, we're making some progress. Hmm. And we see it in Narasimha Thakur. So it's, it's very instructive to us because this is a core, core uh, principle. And uh, we see much in the modern day of the antithesis of that, this of that, the idea I don't need any association in the name of of being associated with a previous acharya or one's guru who has passed on and some resistance to taking good guidance, finding association. It's just that the sanskar for that is the antithesis of what we want. Hmm. Very, very problematic. Um, and we'll have to take it, surely, with that attitude for sure. <laughs> In the next life, we have to be look, we should have a sanskar to look for that association rather than to avoid it. Hmm? So we, when we see it in the person of Narada, you know, who could who he doesn't need anything. We could say, what, what does he need to learn? What does he need? To, he's Narada Thakur. He's teaching us. Hmm? He's got his own paribar, Narada paribar. This is thought of, and this is how he feels about the previous. A charges. So, we, his song is very instructive in this regard. And it's, it's sung for sure, written for sure, very with very much feeling. Mm-hmm. And so, this um, the, the occasion of Sridhar disappearance is we will say a few words about his his life, as he himself has related it here and there. Um, we heard a little bit this morning in our reading. Uh, he was born, of course, in Hapaniya, which is within the Godamandala, the Dham. Hmm. When he first met Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur on the rooftop, in I think the um, rented rented place in, in Calcutta, hmm. he made his way up there somehow, jumping ahead a little bit in the story, but my mind goes there for the moment, and um, and his eagerness to be there in the first place was somehow drew the attention of Bhaktisiddhanta and said, he asked, what does the, that boy want? What, does he have a question? So he was asked, do you have a question for Guru Marsh? No, I don't have a question. Hmm. What is his purpose for being? What is he pur- do you have a purpose for being? Of course, every action has a purpose. Uh, and then, so what is your purpose? My purpose is just to get your grace, the grace of all your people. So Bhaktisiddhanta really very much like that. So... He said you were very fortunate. He asked some questions about it. He said, oh, you were born in the, in the, in the holy mandala, 
the circle of Gore's Leela in Hapaniya. You're very blessed, very fortunate. He was offered a book. He asked Bhaktisthana, asked his assistant to give him one of the books, and Pujapachitamash replied, I've read it. And then the disciple said, That doesn't matter, Guru Maharaj is giving this to you. It is something special. Guru Maharaj is giving you. So he, of course, he took it and so forth. But anyway, my mind only went there because, as I say, he was born in the Dham. Hapaniya, hmm? within the whole, the mandala circle of what constitutes the uh, the manifestation of the divine abode of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this world. Hmm? There's Nadi itself and then the whole greater circle. Goda Mandala Bhumi. So an auspicious birth and in a Brahmin family, that said, on his mother's side, there was a little affinity for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but on his father's side, they hated Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's group. Hmm? So a, a smarta type of group that uh, was very caste conscious and uh, in, 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 with religious sensibilities. And... Um, the Gaudiya people were often thought to be casteless. After all, Mahabharata was um, breaking the, the social norms and um, really his mission involved, among other things, social reform. And he took within his group and made leaders, uh, the, the Muslim uh, Haridas, the outcast as they were, although born as Brahmins, outcast nonetheless because of their working with the Muslims, Rups and Atan, and so forth. So he crossed over these these socio-religious um, boundaries, and he was bringing in, issuing in an emissary of of love above law, something beyond law. Sarvadharman Pritajamami comes really playing out that idea of the Gita hmm? beyond the socio-religious moral life the transcendental life hmm? the smartest would be those very caste conscious and, and they and among other things um, were under the impression that you had to take birth as a Brahmin and to take sannyas and then you could get mukti hmm? so a Shankar type of Advaitin idea, so they didn't have that like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And of course, unfortunately, at the time, there were there were people who were not religious, didn't follow the social norms, and then just claimed themselves to followers of Chaitanya in some sentimental way, without adhering to or even understanding the Siddhanta, and they would give a bad reputation by their character and example to the Gaudiya Sampradaya, so if you didn't have a caste or you, you acted outside of the um, uh, what was the proper behavior um, for your sector of society and acted contrary to the religious principles and uh, rather than face the embarrassment and reform, you just declare yourself follower of Chaitanya and suddenly you know, you've gone beyond it all, something like that. So this was, of course, not what we what we advocated. Not and so there are many misrepresentations also of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So for 
So we give him some benefit of the doubt that there were some reasons to have some opposition to the Chaitanya doctrine as much as it was so much misrepresented. Hmm. Um, but of course, Sri Ramarsha, he had, as he grew up, he had some natural affinity for Mahaprabhu. He was, he was named after Ramchandra and his birth had some, some similar constellation was in some way similar to uh, something in at the time of Ram's birth. Uh, Ramindu, I think he was named after Ram. His, uh, his, he was the eldest son. His, he had an elder sister, but she died very uh, early, maybe just after, after birth or something like that. So when it came time for his birth, there was some concern that some, some ghosts or evil spirits might come and cause a problem. So they had relatives stayed up all night watching if there was some cat, some ghost coming in the form of a cat or something like that. That's what they're thinking. And a Ram Kabacha was given to his mother to wear before his birth to protect him. Hmm. So the illustrious uh, Ramindu was, was born under such conditions and he describes himself that um, he had a very good mem- memory. Hmm. He uh, was taught a Shiva mantra. Hmm. Um, Pranami Shivam Shiva Kalpataram. Hmm. It's a famous uh, mantra. It means, I offer my respect to Shiva. Shiva is a is a desire tree. Hmm. All desires can be fulfilled. So he and he remembered that He's from his very childhood. He was taught like when he was like eight months old. Hmm. This mantra he used to chant it, and so he could remember, you know, recite it and and so forth. He had very very early memories in his father's hands of the Sankirtan party in the distance and desiring to go and participate in that. He said that his earliest memory was of a big earthquake. Hmm. He just mentioned these points in terms of his substantiate his uh, his uh, claim that his that he had a good memory <laughs> um, so very early some very early events uh, like this he described remembering and um, and then of course from childhood he was enrolled in in school he received the the, the Brahmin thread at the age of 14 he said that he had heard somewhere that if you chant the, the Brahma Gayatri 432 times, I think it was, that something wonderful will happen. So he, 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 he did that. And he, he particularly said about it that I just gave myself to the mantra without any thought in my head. What is the meaning? I just chanted it with, a, with no thinking going on, if you will. Hmm? just that the mantra is alive, in other words, was his idea. The mantra was alive, and it would speak and reveal itself, show itself. Hmm? It wasn't an intellectual affair by which he would enter into the domain of the mantra or from where it it came. Hmm? And from where it came, of course, it had the power to take one if properly approached. So he said, and modestly, and I got some light from that. It was a 
it was a uh, part, the beginning of a turning point in his his life. Hmm? Shortly after, he got uh, uh, some books about Chaitanya, and he said he he devoured them. Hmm? So he had a natural affinity towards Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He had an affinity towards Ram, and then towards Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He had a more difficulty having affinity for Krishna because Krishna seemed like an enjoyer, but Ram was a sacrificer, sacrificing as he did very extraordinarily in in the in Ram Lila, giving up the kingdom, going to the forest, and so forth. Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the personification of sacrifice. But then, of course, through understanding the sacrificing life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then you get the proper understanding of Krishna as the enjoyer who has to be at the other end, as I often say, of the sacrifice, for there to be a sacrifice in the first place. And the nature of that other end that is the recipient of the service and sacrifice, Bhoktaram Jakatapasam Sarvaloka Maheshvaram Suhidam Sarvabhutanam. That um, knowing him as such and reposing our sacrificing tendency and devotions and all in him is really in our interest because then he responds in relation to us in a friendly way, just like we feel our stomach is our our friend, so we feed it. Hmm. Um, so by offering ourselves to Krishna, he says that I am such, the Lord of all sacrifices, and those who know that and act accordingly, I'm their friend. They see me as their friend. I, they understand me as their friend. Uh, so, there's a place for the center, for the enjoying center. And we, and we, can, we can understand that center properly by understanding the sacrificing agency. Hmm? You understand? Through the sacrificing life of Chaitanya, just Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, for example, which is so laudable and compelling. Hmm? And he was preoccupied with Radha and Krishna. Hmm? So, that enjoying person and doesn't look like um, like a like a like a, a despot or a, a an exploiter, so to speak, when seen through the eyes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he had anyway this kind of natural attraction, and um, he relates a story. Excuse me. Another kind of very moving incident in his life that these are incidents his, his chanting the mantra his affinity for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu early on um, without knowing about him in a systematic way but reading some books and and, uh, and then meeting as a student um, having an acquaintance and friend in school he said there were two divisions in the school there were those who were drawn to philanthropy and altruism and um, and typically tending to the sick hmm. to be a doctor was the most, most noble thing and then there were those who inclined towards meditation hmm. some were a little more modern and some were a little more traditional and he said I had both sides to me I could was very drawn to the traditional and the meditation and inner spiritual culture and so forth, but I had a philanthropic and altruistic sensibilities as well. And so he 
had made a friend with this young young boy who had a similar type of tendencies. He would like to meditate, but if any opportunity came or someone who needed help, then he would, you know, um, be there. Um, and uh, they were having a discussion one day, and the boy spoke about his father and referred to him, oh, that gentleman, uh, such and such, such and such. And she never says, how can you say, refer to your father, oh, that gentleman? That's very inappropriate. It's your father. You speak about him as some distant person. And the boy said, well, that's the philosophy, actually. He's my father. He's a, some gentleman. I have pre- had a previous life. Previous gentleman. Hmm. Was my father. This is all a passing. These are relations. Father, mother, son, brother, sister, flesh relationships are here today and gone tomorrow. So I don't... Why shall I give more importance to it and... Uh, uh, that's not the teaching, that's the illusion. Hmm. And uh, it was rather harsh, but rather true, hmm. in Sri Ramarsha's estimation. Rather harsh. So Vedanta can be a little harsh, like science can be a little harsh, and just deconstruct things and take the feeling out. Of course, then there's, of course, we're in the school of Bhakti Vedanta, so getting that Vedanta out, in place, what is the nature of material relationships and attachments? What is the difference between attachment and and love? Hmm. Uh, when we have that in place theoretically, and we start to act accordingly, then there's scope for for the bhakti, really, to the, the higher side of the bhakti, the emotive side of the bhakti, to uh, to manifest hmm. in their life of spiritual. Emotion, but these two go together. There's a head, and then there's the heart. So we have to deconstruct what seems to be love, and bhakti, and uh, and, uh, and what is what is illusion, what is the self, and then understanding the self and the prospect of bhakti, all in the context of bhakti. This is all part of the sambanda gyan, of course. So anyway, he heard this, and it was like very. <coughs> I mean, it was not something he didn't know or hadn't read about, but then it was just a very... It hit him at that time, and the way the boy had said it, it was just very powerful. And it caused chaos, he said, in his life. His mind became chaotic. What is then the meaning, purpose? This is true what he says. And here I have my family, and and, and, and everyone's going on like this, but it's all, it is illusion. This is just a passing thing, and... So it, it catapulted him into a state of of contemplation and introspection that caused him to lose interest in the school. And the student acquaintances were concerned about him, that your father is paying for you to go to school and all. And here you are, and you, you're like, you know, like an avidut or something like that. You're you're not, you know, using your time. We're concerned about you and so forth. He said he took to doing cow seva and agricultural work. He went and found opportunities to work in the field and clean up after cows and serve them. This is what he did, and it calmed him down a little bit, and and somehow 
without studying. When the time for the exam came, he passed anyway. And then the students remarked, just see, all he did was pray to God and he passed the test anyway. There's truth in what he said. And so there was this, there was a little bit of this conflict at the time of the teachers were all in favor of modern thinking, which tended to be secular. And then there were the traditionalists who were holding on to spiritual values. And there was a debate club. At the end of the debate club, they always took the side of the traditionalists. And he said, the teachers couldn't defeat me either. And so this is a little bit about his school life and, and uh, the chanting of the mantra, the meeting of that student. And uh, these were very powerful moments in his life. And he felt after that, after the school and so forth, that he needed to find a, um, a guru. Hmm? And I think perhaps before he did, his father passed from the world and he, and he was very disappointed that his eldest son was like a religious fanatic uh, or follower of Chaitanya. And so he asked him on his deathbed, you, I, I want you to marry. Because if you marry me, that's it. You're going to be here. You're going to be here. You're going to have kids and you'll calm down. You'll normalize. The situation will normalize you. You'll come down to earth, down to reality and carry on the family name and so on and so forth. Shudramarsh was not at all inclined towards that, but he was in a real bind. Father on the deathbed, last final request, you please tell me you'll marry, tell me that you'll marry. So Shudramarsh tried to compromise and he said, I'll do my best, something like that. But as it did come to pass, he did, he did marry. Hmm. And, um, and, um, Still, his religious preoccupation and interest in the teachings of Chaitanya were driving him to the point that he felt he needed a guru hmm, to approach the ideals of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu systematically. He met one Pran, Pranavananda hmm, um, that was, maybe someone had directed him to, was a, this was a f- famous story he told and that man, he told him of his interest in Chaitanya and so forth, and the man said, yes, Chaitanya, of course, that is the highest thing, the brain of Chaitanya. But first you have to learn the detachment of the Buddha and then the Gyan of Shankar, and so on. And gradually then you come to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so Sridhar Maharaj replied, he said, that sounds very interesting, but it's not what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself taught. And he said that that guru could say nothing, so he could understand. He cannot be my guru. <laughs> he could not answer. So he went on. Hmm? He was directed, that fellow directed him to somebody else, some other mystic who was uh, well-known and, uh, and was a kind of a guru even for Subhas Chandra Bosch, the, one of the revolutionaries in the Indian uh, Revolution. There was a fighting side also, along with the Gandhi side, it doesn't get as much publicity. They did something to drive out the British too. Um, and so he met that that fellow also. And that fellow was an astrologer also. Did his chart and said he would be a sannyasi and something and sent him on. And somewhere 
to find somebody else, I think, and that along the way he saw this red sign, Godiamath program. That, oh, the Godiamath, that must be, those must be Chaitanya people. Hmm. So he found his way to one of the moths, the Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Hmm. And um, he said he was very impressed there with their standards. They didn't care for anybody or anything. They only cared for what Shastra said, what the Siddhanta was. And they were a little heavy, hmm, like that, not sentimental. Uh, but he found it attractive. They were very uh, compelling and uh, and they were very inspired by their guru, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasuttakar. He said the place was like a beehive of activity hmm, for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. And he said about them that they were a little harsh. They'd say, so you sit over there. you know." And he was once going up to... He heard that Bhakti Siddhanta, their leader, their guru, was on the roof, so he started to go up. Where are you going? You're going to go there. He said, they thought it was a little harsh the way they were dealing with me. But he reasoned that if they are bad and they put me on a palanquin and worship me, I should run from the place. And if they are good and they beat me with a broom, I should stay. Hmm. If they're really followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, even if I experience some abuse in the context of the, then this, I shall never leave that place. This is his sensibility. Hmm. And so he started a relationship with the Rodiamath uh, devotees. And as I mentioned earlier, he met the Bhaktisiddhanta and had a conversation with him and so forth. But he was a married man and he was the eldest son. Hmm. And so there he was, Vilavikalpa, so to speak, you know, which like Max. I don't want to go there, but the married life and this calling on me and I have my responsibilities and so forth. And then a a festival, I believe in Mayapur, perhaps for the Gorapunim, was was arranged and um so he went to the festival and it was very powerful and here Saraswati Thakur was speaking at a certain time and prior to that this this sannyasi over here was giving a lecture and this swami over here was giving a lecture and someone else was selling books at the table and again a beehive of activity for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu so he was very uh, inspired by all that and at the end Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada gave a lecture and asked all the people one request that we even made this big festival we've invited you all made this arrangement you're all very uh, I've been nicely hosted, and my my request is that you don't go home. You've come to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's world. Don't 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 leave. And so, feelingly and compellingly, he spoke like it really struck Shridharmarsh like a thunderbolt. And somehow, in his mind, he the thought came: if my wife would die. Hmm. Give that to the humanists. These people are weird. Just see how they think. How unhealthy. He had this thought. Hmm. Then I would be free. Alas. And he went home, and as it turned out, his wife died and within three days. Hmm. Had been had malaria or something like that, typhoid, something, and died in three days. And 
then, of course, he had the younger brothers, and then there was the mother. <laughs> and so it never ends. Right? <laughs> so the world, in other words, keeps calling on us, keeps calling on us. There's always another excuse. And you think, if only this wasn't in a way, my path would be cleared. And, and then Maya's there to offer another obstacle, another obstacle. Hmm. We have to get to the point where the obstacles themselves become compelling. Hmm? The obstacles become compelling. Just like if a young girl falls in love with a young boy and then you try to stop it and you put become an obstacle to that and that will only increase their affinity for one another. And they'll find a way somehow or other. The obstacle just causes their affection for one another to flame. Hmm? This is this is the ideal. So at any rate, then there was the mother obstacle. Hmm? And but as it turned out, within a few months his mother also died. And he visited the moth with his two brothers and and some sannyasi was preaching to him there and he thought well let my brothers when they finish school then perhaps you know then I then I really am free and and he made that point to the sannyasi and the sannyasi said nope now the opportunity's here you should take it and, and so he joined and his brothers went away crying tears rolling down their cheeks and the great, who became the great Pujapachi Dharmars, joined the moth of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Hmm. And so his life as a monastic really began at that point, some point, sometime in the 1920s. Hmm. And um, in 1930, he was given sannyas, he was recommended for sannyas, I think, by Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Bhakti 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 and uh, he was known for his ability to speak in Hindi and Bengali and also in English in a compelling and in poetic and profound way that had a charm to it. And we, we feel that, and we, we see that in his recorded uh, published conversations. And, um, and on that basis of his deep understanding and his ability to make a very compelling and thoughtful presentation, he was chosen by Bhaktisiddhanta to go, to be the emissary, missionary, to go to the West. And um, he himself felt himself unfit and replied to Prabhupada Sarasvatthaka, certainly if it's your order I will go, but for your consideration... I would like to present the fact that there are other people who can speak better English and who are more inclined to mingle with the public. My nature is more to be introverted, and um, and I think also I can take advantage of your company, hmm. and it won't be here forever. So uh, my preference would be to stay here, but as you order, so I will do. And so Bhakti Siddhanta was moved by that. I think particularly by his his third point. Hmm. And he sent someone else to uh, to England. Mm-hmm. But Chidamarsh preached fairly widely in India. Opened, I think, the, the Madras Math. He was involved in the, the the program, as I mentioned yesterday, of establishing the footprints of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu on the South Indian tour. 
He served at the Kurukshetra Math. He served in Allahabad, and I think that's where he met Prabhupada. That was before he he took sannyas. He met Prabhupada, our Prabhupada, and um, and uh, and so he became a prominent member. He was one of the, I think eighteen uh, disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta who received the sannyas from him. Um, he was from a Brahmin family, and Bhakti Siddhanta was from a Sudravarna, Kayasta. So, crossed over the caste considerations and so forth. Uh, and anyway, he became a prominent member of of Gaudiamat and Sridhar Maharaj Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta said that uh, he will, uh, one thing we have in Sridhar Maharaj's, we know he will never leave, he will never be converted. It's not possible to convert him. He referred to him as Shastra Nipun, who was a scriptural genius. And um, in his poem, Sridhar was very good in Sanskrit and um, from an early age. And he um, wrote, he, he has some very original Sanskrit compositions that are like the Sanskrit compositions of days of yore, of, of the Goswamis, his Premadama, Deva Stotram, is basically a whole uh, mini Chaitanya Charitamrita in verse, in the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and implications of them and so forth. I think it's, what, 70, 72 verses or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a number of original Sanskrit compositions. It's commentary on the Brahma Gayatri, uh, on Rigveda, Mandrom Tad Vishnu Paramam Padam Sadas, very insightful. Um, and he wrote a poem, a beautiful poem about Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsvati Thakur that is sung in every Gaudiamat every day. And carved, some of the verses are engraved on the walls in some of those mounts. So his authors, God Brothers, acknowledge that Bhakti Siddhanta is really present. In this song, you've captured him. And Bhakti Siddhanta said to Pujapatrita Maharaj about a song, a poem that he wrote in glorification of Bhakti Vinod, that, that Sridhar Maharaj has captured Bhakti Vinod Thakur in this, in this verse, one of the verses. He's present there in this verse. So, so his, um, as, a, as a writer, not a prolific writer in large sense, but in a condensed and smaller way, but the quality of the writing very extraordinary, some real jewels for the Gaudiya Mahatma and jewels for Gaudiya Vaishnavism also hmm, have been uh, mined you know, from the treasure chest of Pujapatridamarsa's heart and brought out in, in, in print for us to share and take advantage of. So we're very fortunate to be um, connected with him. And uh, as I say, he was active in Gaudiya Math as as a preacher and often would explain the lectures of Bhakti Siddhanta after he gave them to others who couldn't understand them, hold a second little class and explain the points. Um, and and he had a very affectionate relationship with our Prabhupada. Somewhere after the passing of Bhakti Siddhanta and, and the breakup of Gaudiya Mat, Pujapada independently um, ventured and acquired some land somehow in Navadweep and um, had a little hut there. 
At that time, speaking of his original Sanskrit compositions, he wrote a poem about the Chaitanya Saraswat Mat. It was just a little hut <laughs> in the jungle. Uh, and uh, he wrote this fairly extensive poem about the flag of the Chaitanya Saraswat Mat is flying and all over from all over the world. People are coming. And people looked at that poem for years and thought, uh, what's he talking about? You know? Of course, it all came to pass in due course. And that um, had something to do with his affectionate relationship with Prabhupada, who had so much confidence in him. Um, somewhere, I'm not sure how it works chronologically, after the breakup of the moth, and Shinomar seemed to already have land in Navadweep, because that's where he got his first disciples, and that's where his successor, um, who became Um, Bhaktisundar Govinda Maharaj joined him, but the time that he spent in Prabhupada's apartment, Prabhupada's two apartments in Calcutta, one of them was for Sridhar Maharaj, he seems like he already had the land in Navadweep at the time, so he was spending some time there. It's said he lived for six years with Prabhupada, um, but he already had the hut, so I don't know how that works. I, I never heard an explanation of that exactly, but at any rate, um, he had a very affectionate relationship with with Prabhupada. He wrote his Gita commentary there in, 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 in Prabhupada's um, apartment. And Prabhupada was writing his at the same time, so they conferred with one another. Hmm. And uh, about that period, uh, Prabhupada said, I think I mentioned it last night, that everything I learned, I learned from Sridhar Maharaj. I mean, the, the philosophy of Bhakti Siddhanta systematically he learned through years of association with, with Sridhar Maharaj. Mm. So he prepared me, he said, for coming to the West. Mm. Um, so he's a very important person in our line. And uh, after the passing of Bhakti Siddhanta, as I say, he, he primarily, I think that he... At some point, he decided to more or less not be involved in the preaching, but to retire in Navadweep. And there he went to Eka Chakra to get the blessing of Nityananda Prabhu to reside in Madame. And Nityananda Prabhu said to him that you can, you want to my mercy, but you don't want to give your mercy. Preaching means giving mercy. So, so he thought, okay, make a deal with him. I live in Navadweep, and I won't turn people away. But I don't want to run here, there, and everywhere to try to find them, capture them. So that was his policy. And he formed his mop there, and they lived for years. As I said the other night, sometimes they did not have enough rice to go around. Hmm. Uh, but the disciples were comforted by living with him in his siddhanta, his own conviction, and to hear his insights, or just to be in his company and serve him. <clears throat> and it was years later, of course, that he, uh, through the, the campaign of our Guru Maharaj, we, we, we knew about Pujapat Sridhar Maharaj. It was Sridhar Maharaj that Prabhupada wrote to, and very respectfully he wrote to him um, from the East Coast when he had his first heart attack in the Americas and wondered, should he go to Vrindavan to, to die or should he stay in the preaching field where he's was getting some success. 
So he wrote to Govinda Maharaj, you please ask Buddha Maharaj, please consider um, if he will entertain my my question. Hmm? This is how he approached Sridhar Maharaj. The question was, should I return to Vrindavan or what do you think? Should I die in the preaching field? And Sridhar Maharaj wrote back, better wherever you doing the preaching, that is Vrindavan. Hmm. So he stayed on. And uh, and here we are. So, and then when he went, did return to India successfully with a group of disciples, he went to Sridhar Maharaj's moth. There he said, we on, he went on the day of Sridhar Maharaj's Vyasa Puja to show his disciples how to worship the Guru, how to regard the Guru. So there was some relationship that uh, we knew about. Prabhupada invited Sridhar Maharaj to Mayapur, hmm, to oversee the installation of the Anantasesh deity that goes in the ground of the foundation of the temple. We have one here on the, on the foundation. And um, and there's some famous uh, video and of him sitting on a, sharing the Vyasa song with Prabhupada and Prabhupada speaking about him. I've known him for many years. We met in Bombay. I've always known him to be a pure devotee of Krishna his association is very valuable and so forth. So he introduced him to all of us. But the campaign of Prabhupada was so robust and outgoing and and uh, all over the world and so forth. And Sridhar Maharaj was more introverted. So he, he remained there in the background, happy to see Prabhupada's success, while other some other associates of Prabhupada had doubts about Western people, how they might be a contaminating influence and didn't want to help Prabhupada, even some of them kind of politicked against Prabhupada getting land in Mayapur with Sridhar Marsh who helped him get the land for the Chaitanya Chandraya Mandir, Prabhupada's project there. So he was always um, supportive and appreciative of the uh, campaign of Prabhupada and and in the end of Prabhupada's campaign, as the sun, if you will, of Prabhupada set in the world, the reflective light of the moon of Pujapachuda Marsh rose and made other stars look like glowworms in the night uh, without even trying to bring any attention to himself. And so... There began a, 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 a trail of devotees crossing the Ganges to have his association, skipping out on the Bhagavatam classes at the, in Mayapur to go to Navadvip and, and, and sit and hear him talk, and so on and so forth. Um, and so he was very um, and encouraging in those days and very, of course, insightful and very empowered, I would say, to take the teaching that we had received and embellish it and bring it to another level and cause us to be introspective and thoughtful about what we had been taught, what the implications were, and so forth. You could not possibly have found a better fit for a Siksha Guru and recommended by our Guru, that matter as well and the person to whom he referred as his own Siksha Guru. It was so perfect. Hmm? 
perfect in that they knew one another, they were friends, and they were they were god brothers, and he was a well wisher of the mission always and and he spoke English and uh, and uh, it was just a great fit and he was pure hmm? Hmm. and um, and no no ambition for followers or a big mission or anything like that, which is sometimes by some foolish people think see he he had nothing he didn't do anything but yeah. Krishna moves his devotees in, in different ways. We are fortunate to be able to see that, experience that. He's conducting himself very differently than our Prabhupada, but the same by the, the same motivating force is behind him, Krishna Bhakti, Chaitanya Bhakti. So we are fortunate to be in his company and um and as it came to pass, as I say, that poem that he wrote about the Chaitanya Sarsat Math, it uh, was prophetic because now it's been built up and guest houses and people from all over the world come there hmm, to celebrate his his uh, his moth and uh, his samadhi is there and and so forth. It's become a, a famous place in the Vaishnava uh, world. Hmm. So we're fortunate to be somehow connected with him and we're uh, fortunate to be able to celebrate such days as this day, his disappearance from the world. We should try to make it such that it will bring him into our lives that much more. Um, we should pray that we will have the ability to take to heart the kind of things that he emphasized that made him, in his own estimation, the person that he is. The ability to take the points and make them part of your life. The ability to to to, um, to die, to live, to swallow the bitter pill of that poetic sounding very nice, oh that's great, I love that. And I know a fellow who put it on his license plate, die to live. And off he drove, you know, carrying on with everything else that uh, that he should have been giving a death to. So it's not just a cute saying, as Sridhar said. It is a cute saying, but it's a bitter pill to swallow. And he uh, he swallowed that. The example is is there in his life. So we should pray to be able to have the power to take advantage of that and, and to conduct ourselves in such a way that we can hear the point and not resist it and not let it go in one ear and out the other and be a form of intellectual entertainment but to go into our heart and bring about a change. And also I would say that he is a very uh, extraordinary example of an intelligent and educated person that did not allow his intelligence and education to get in the way of his faith and his ability to go deep within the heart and experience the super-subjective world. Intelligence can be a very big impediment in education also. We're not against these things, but but they um, can be an impediment. He used to warn and caution. He told me once personally that when intelligent people come, I educate people, I have to keep hammering on this point, gyan shunya bhakti, gyan shunya bhakti, gyan shunya bhakti. 
bhakti beyond uh, beyond beyond knowledge. Intelligence is not the vehicle for going there. Faith is the vehicle. He once said in the later days of his manifest presence that he had a, he, near the time of his passing he had a dream and in the dream all of his scriptural knowledge was taken away. All the verses that he knew and he had only his faith to stand on. Hmm? I mentioned earlier his his way of approaching the Brahma Gayatri that he got some light from was not intellectual. He gave himself to the process. He really, to use an adage that I invoke, he really used his head to soften his heart. This is a real good use, proper use of the intellect. Use your intellect to soften your heart that these ideas may go in and give you standing in the real world. Otherwise, we, we're going we're gonna to think about them and then the real world is out here and then we're going to measure them in relation to the so-called real world. And it's, um, we might have to do that to some extent for preaching, but that's, a, that's an art that you can do that and not be carried into the world and, and the practice will be less heartfelt and faithful because the mind is distracted by other ideas and, and so forth. As I say, a little experience in this goes a long way. He had a little experience. He got a little light from the Brahma Gayatri as a teenager. And it started to, 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 to tilt his, his, his existence in the direction of the subjective and see how he was. And the boy said, that gentleman... And it changed, he took that and that became like part of his life. Yes, it's true. That's the truth. I have to act accordingly. Yes. These relations, blood relations, or they're a passing thing. So, it's very extraordinary how, what a listener he was, how much he approached the matter with the heart for self-improvement and how he had an appetite for sacrifice and surrender Mm-hmm. You know, we read this morning that his mother loved to prepare nice vegetables for him, but he only liked veg- leafy vegetables with neem leaves and rice. That's not a tasty, <laughs> tasty preparation. Uh, so he was not very worldly <laughs> in his orientation, not really taken by by the palate mm-hmm. and uh, the call of the senses if you will, to the sense objects. He was an extraordinary person. There's, there's obviously no doubt about that. We shouldn't think, oh, he was extraordinary. So, well, that's for him. It doesn't work like that for us. We should try to get inspiration from such an extraordinary person's life and see how, what is the power of one profound statement? Yes, that's true. If we can just take it, we can build a whole life on that. Or it can tilt us in a direction that we might never... We develop a sangskar for going in, on that side, always. So he was a very, um, he was an educated person, and um, I mean, he was read in philosophy of the West of, of the time. Hmm? You know, he would quote Kant and Hegel and Berkeley and these type of uh, 
luminaries of the Western uh, historical philosophical past, um, and, uh, and and think about them in light of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and so forth. So uh, he had that um, that aptitude, but he never allowed it to get in the way, but rather used it. Hmm? Do I say as I say use? He said to soften his heart. He's a very good uh, example of that, and to hammer on this point that the Bhagavatam hammers on. It, it, it puts, it, it invites you to bring your intellect hmm, and makes a challenge. Try to understand me. Hmm, and, it, and it pushes back and puts the inter- intelligence in its, in its, in its place. Hmm. And, of course, and it's for us to take that and apply that and so forth. But anyway, he's a very good um, example of that, and we're fortunate to have that in our lives. Bhakti Rakshak Sridhardev Gosami Maharaj Ki Jai Sridhardev Gosami Maharaj Thirubhav Mahamotsavatiti Ki Jai Gaur Premanam